Mike one too. Looks like we are live. Welcome to episode one of Think Monster. Yeah, I guess the reason why I wanted to start something like this was because, you know, I grew up in the church. I worked at a church, uh, but I think only within the last maybe two years or so have I really felt my faith be non-institutional and therefore life-giving. Um, I think my whole paradigm for what Christianity and what uh, being a Christian was, was so tied to um, kind of working your way up the hierarchical church mindset, church structure. Um, I don't know if it was just the charismatic upbringing that I had, being more on the, on the Pentecostal side of things where you'd go see prophets or... or um, just kind of the celebratory nature of somebody with a, a quote unquote good word. And I found that, yeah, those, that whole paradigm, that whole system of, of faith seems to be very, even though it's individualistic in its delivery is very structure oriented. And what I mean by that is it seems like the, the best way for somebody to, know what God wants them to do in their life is to look to the external. So I don't ever look within to figure out what my own passions are or whatever. I um, go to a prayer meeting. I go to one of these prophets. I go to something external of myself to find the solution for what I am looking for. Um, And then this creates a whole system of this incestuous, I don't know, um, grossness of people wanting to live out their best life, but the only solution was these external people or these external things within this sort of community. And so, you know, just to, just to boil it down, like if, if I wanted to find out what the will of God was for my life, the best way to do that was to go hear some preacher or or some prophet, um, hope, and, you know, fingers crossed that uh, he would see me and see some sort of uh, spark of insight or prophetic whatever and tell me that I'm going to do great things for the kingdom and uh, then I can go on feel feeling better about myself and about my decisions kind of moving, moving forward. And so I would be, you, you know, you'd wait for the goosebump or the whatever and that that would kind of be an indicator of the will of God for your life for the next practical step of what you should do or where you should go. And I've just come to realize that that I I know it sounds silly, me just talking about it now, how ridiculous that is, but without putting language to that experience, it just goes on as normative. And I've just realized how stupid that is and how much more individualistic and passion, internal passion driven the gospel in Jesus actually is. And, you know, working for a church, um, it just kind of felt more of that same thing where the, the win for the quote unquote church would be to do church related things that fit within the metrics of that church as what a good Christian would do. And as long as those metrics are being hit, then that person is being 
faithful or Christian or or whatever it might be. But I think what's missing in that is, you know, it seems like the church would rather, you know, somebody forego them practicing singing as an example. Um, that might be the next great artist to be, to work in kids ministry. And I know I'm being kind of hyperbolic about this or that uh, if they were a good singer to be on the worship team and that would be the pinnacle of worship or of life would be to, you know, be a worship leader. But what if that person has the skill set to go way beyond the church? And I, th- I think there would be a mindset or a bit of a hesitation of the church of somebody, not necessarily leaving the church, but just going on to double down, triple down on where their passion lies and that be seeing as flesh driven or as, um, as something that they're doing selfish, that they're not sacrificing, you know, a fleshly desire to be, to stay within the, within the church walls. And I kind of felt that, you know, there's this, there's this ceiling that the church puts on people's identities so that it helps the system of the church feel good about itself. And I talk, and I'm speaking about kind of the, the non-individualistic system of the church. I'm not necessarily talking about individual leaders. It's just the, the collection of leadership personalities, the collection of doctrine, the collection of secondary issue leanings, kind of all of that mixing together um, and creating this cap on individuals. And the reason why I say all that is, is I've, I've felt that understanding that Jesus was the, or seeing Jesus through the lens of being the most, being the best individual that ever lived, I think has been a helpful realization in the last two years. And so I want, what I want to do with this podcast is kind of relook at all my biblical knowledge around what it means to be a Christian through the lens of what if, what if my passions aren't flesh or what if my passions aren't sin? What if they're actually a gift from God? So uh, I'll frame it up this way. Romans 12, one, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. To me, how I've interpreted that and I think how it's been preached kind of my whole life or my understanding of it has been, you don't matter what you want to do, what you're excited about, what your passions are. That doesn't matter because ultimately you got to lay it all down and just be this vessel of sacrifice for whatever the church or whatever the the thing to do is that seems the most spiritual or or self selfless. So... I think I, I've lived most of my life that way where, you know, I would have a passion for film or something creative or whatever, but, you know, I would also be an organized person. And so I would forego the time that I would spend to do something more creative that I, that I would enjoy doing to helping out uh, a friend who is running a ministry and help him keep organized so I think this will be a process of me undoing a lot of my uh, Christian uh, 
I think there's the Catholic guilt, but I think there's also this like charismatic evangelical guilt around pursuing something that you enjoy that might not inherently be rewarding the institutional church outright. So, and I think that goes for like the, the best, like the best life that, that you could hope for yourself is for you to be quote unquote called by God, um, to be a leader or a church leader. And, you know, that, that was kind of the, the best thing that you could do. So uh, I want to share a few quotes that helped me were kind of like uh, flares in the dark to help me move forward out of this kind of uh, evangelical charismatic system of thought. And the first one was, um, I think it's Howard Thurman. I think he was Martin Luther King's uh, spiritual advisor. He said, uh, I think it was, don't ask what yourself, uh, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive because what the world needs is somebody who has come alive. And I think that that's a very helpful quote because it's it's kind of just saying do do what makes you feel the best and because that's what the world needs to see is somebody who is passionate about something and I think for the most part the the institutional church or the evangelical church or whatever you want to call it would rather people ask the church what they need and then forego anything that uh, that would make them come alive. So there's that quote. And then I think C.S. Lewis, I don't know if it's his exact quote or essentially it might have been a Tim Keller interpretation of one of his, uh, of one of his passages, but it was, um, it's not that our passions don't run deep enough, it's that we're satisfied too easily. So I think that resonated with me it's because M, I, it helped me ask the question, am I being satisfied with the attaboys from the institutional church for helping out rather than going deeper in my passion for what I enjoy in this world? Um, I have a third one, but oh, I can't remember it at the moment. It might come to me. Um, so I think one of the impetus, impetuses, impeti uh, around this were those quotes. But then I was also reading through Matthew. I was working at the church at the time, and um, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees saying, what was he saying? I'm, I'm still trying to think of that, that quote. Um, that was my phone. That wasn't me farting. Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and find that out what this means. And that that phrase just kept pump, uh, popping out at me as I was reading through. I think he says it two or three times. And I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I, so I looked at it up in the Greek and mercy, that Greek word, I don't have it in front of me, but it's essentially tied to like a passion language or uh, or like a marital love, like a marital marital passion. So it's like essentially Jesus desires some sort of passion, not sacrifice and go, go and find out what this means. And so I took that as a bit of a call. And then, you know, like I mentioned, I was, I've also know of Romans 12, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And so for the, for the longest time, I was like, well, God, which is it? Do you want passion or do you want sacrifice? And uh, 
I could like I couldn't figure out how to reconcile these two verses because they seem to be contradictory. But in reading Romans 12 again, what stood out to me finally was it said, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And then I kind of realized that I was never in the institutional church, um, I was never really offering myself. I was offering a version of myself that I thought they wanted. And that that helped me reconcile those two verses. Whereas if I was offering my full self as a living sacrifice, that would then, there would have to be some sort of passion around that. So I was never passionate about what I was doing, um, you know, administratively or, or anything like that. I was just like, well, I, I, I've been told I have the spiritual gift of administration and, and therefore they've created this role for me. So I guess, you know, I got to sacrifice and, and do this role that I hate. And, and, uh, you know, when I would express that I don't like the role or anything like that, you know, I, I would hear that, um, you know, if you're operating out of your spiritual gifts, you'll never experience burnout. And I, I don't think I was feeling burnt out, but, uh, cause I've felt that, you know, previously, but it was more of like a rust out situation where I just didn't, it was hard for me to care about what was, what my work, like I didn't care about visa receipts or, or setting up process or around that. And, um, but I was told that, uh, you know, you're administrative. So this is kind of the role at least that we have for you right now. And there might be something down the road, but you know, here it is. And, uh, I think I did the, the Enneagram test, like the professional one. And, um, I always felt that I, had unique thoughts, unique perspective. I could, I think I could see things, not talking charismatically or spiritually or anything like that, but I could understand patterns that are, that are happening and make some unique strategic or have some unique st- strategic ideas or solutions to, to certain things. And because I was pegged as an, at a, as an administrator um, or somebody who's just organized, who helps execute on somebody else's ideas, any of those ideas that I would have would would not be seen as as in, they, as innovative or anything like or something to be listened to. They would just be seen as like, oh, Tyler is acting out of non non self awareness. This this guy's not being very self aware aware right now. If he thinks that that is what we should do or should be done, until I did that enneagram test, and you know, I'm a five, so I'm a I'm a thinker. And the first bullet point of that was that I was a visionary uh, thinker. And then I also looked at uh, a previous email, like a closing email between my previous boss at my previous job, where we did a lot of entrepreneurial innovative things. And the line that she uh, said was, you are a visionary and innovative thinker in this space. And so that, so getting that, that validation that you know, I, I am visionary. I do have some sort of creative side of me and that being stifled in my role and in, in the church that I was at was a kind of a bitter pill to swallow, but especially because what, what I did in that time was believe them because, you know, these people hear from God and all of that. So my assumption was, well, yeah, maybe I don't know myself as well 
as well as I thought, or or maybe you know my my seven years working and growing this e learning company to you know twenty six thousand users and having having some great success success there was actually a, a fluke. So I think you know that's that's gaslighting whether they they meant to or not. But when you feel crazy when the insides of you doesn't isn't reflective of what people are saying on the outside of you. Yeah, that that'll lead you down a dark path. So yeah, the that I all that to say in this journey now of me, I, I quit there because I wanted to discover a passion. I wanted to discover what my passions are. And I think they were so beat out of me from a kid all the way up to working at a church that uh yeah, I, I wanted to take some time and really think through what my passions are and and explore what pa- what my passions might be. Like as soon as I quit my job at working at the church, I was like, I really enjoy stand-up comedy. I think it's one of the, and it, just an interesting space about people being truthful but vulnerable and making people laugh. There's there's something that I really respect and enjoy about that. So one of my first you know steps towards just finding a passion was to sign up for a stand-up comedy course, and uh, I did that, and it was one of the best experiences that I think I've had in my in my adult life, so much so that, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be a professional stand-up comedian or anything like that, but I'll stay, still take a class here and there just to work through that side of my brain and and uh, have learned to look at the world through a, a different perspective and or at least help refine my own perspective. So just kind of rambling here, but but that's the, the, the purpose of, I think, this Think Monster podcast, which, as you can probably tell, is aptly named is to help me and and maybe help you if if some of the stuff is resonating with you to help reconcile not wanting to abandon your faith but see, just seeing the horrible systemic institutional bass backwards things that are going on in the church and uh yeah like how to appropriately honor the people that have gone before you, but also, yeah, go deeper with your current understanding of how God has wired you individually and how you can affect change in the world if you were the best version of yourself. So I want to I want to frame it up a little bit further in that one of the one of the mindsets that that have, has been helping me is this new new heavens new earth version of Tyler. So. Um, in theology, in heaven, heaven's going to be, a, uh, as, as they say, a physical place, new heavens, new earth. So when we die, there, there might be a, a temporary time where we're more in our spiritual form, but ultimately long-term, there's going to be a renewed heavens and renewed earth, and we're going to be as physical as we are now, but everything's just going to be perfect. So it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. But what's interesting about the Garden of Eden is there was work there. And so if New Heavens, New Earth is going to be kind of a renewed version of that, we will still be working towards something in the New Heavens, New Earth. We'll still probably be trying to maximize who we are. And, you know, galaxies are billions of light years away. So, you know, maybe we'll be building rocket ships or whatever um, to go explore that. And, and that will still be, in a sense, worshiping God because we'll want to see all that he's created and we'll be having renewed minds and renewed passions and and all those things to, um, you know, help with that. And, 
and so one of the ideas that I've that I've had is who is New Heavens, New Earth, Tyler? So scraping away all of previous traumas and insert any therapy language you want to put in there. Who is the Tyler that that God has created, who has been wired, and what would he be doing in the new heavens and the new earth? And I think one of the things that I've ignored throughout my whole life is this performative side of me. So I remember in grade six, um, five or six, I was part of the play, and I think I was cast in maybe like third or fourth lead. And the drama teacher at the time came to me after and 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 kind of took my mom aside and was like, hey, like, Tyler was really, really good in this play. He should pursue acting related things. I think he, I think he could do something with, with this. And that always stuck with me. And, you know, right after that, I think I went to a new school and they, I think they did have a drama class, but you know, new school, you also play hockey, you know, you don't want to be a drama kid. So I kind of stayed away from that. Uh, I, I was also passionate about film. I, bought my own film camera and stuff like that in high school, making dumb videos with my friends. And I really enjoyed doing that. And what had happened, I I remember, again, growing up charismatic, I'd be, I got prophesied over that it would do well in business. So when I was applying for universities, I applied for film as my, you were allowed three submissions to universities for free and then you had to pay for more. So I, I applied to two film schools and then one to kind of test this prophecy or whatever. I was like, well, maybe I'll apply business as well just to see if that if that happens. And so fast forward, I somehow canceled all my university applications uh, before I went out tree planting with my summer job, which was in the bush. So I had limited access to internet and phones and, and all of that. And I didn't end up, yeah, I canceled my application. So I, I didn't end up getting into film school and I could only get to the, and by the time I found out, I could only get to the wait list of the business option that I had. So I guess in my mindset, I was like, well, I guess that prophecy is true. I'm going to, you know, be a, I guess a business guy, I guess. And I was disappointed. Like I didn't want to kind of do do that or do any of that and this this goes back to like well like you know I guess this is what God wants me to do and I think had I had I had the information or had I had some semblance of identity and passion back then I would have pushed harder into more of the passion side of of what I wanted to do whether that be more performative or whether that be in film um, instead of going down this marketing uh, business route. Now I did choose marketing because it was more on the creative side of things and, you know, stuff works out and, you know, some of you more charismatic folk might be like, oh, praise God, like he's, uh, the Lord had had plans and all that and maybe he did. But um, yeah, so um, all that all that to say, I don't remember where I started on that, but I think that's going to be a theme of this this podcast. But, you know, I think I had these these passions, but I, I would slowly, they would be chipped away. So, yeah, going back to the new heavens, new earth idea, you know, I had this, one, I had this thought, I was like, you know, I, th- I think there'll be stand-up or I think there'll still be like entertainment uh, in heaven because I think one of the aspects of comedy and entertainment and story 
is that there's a character who's always still striving for something. And I think we will still be striving for things in heaven because, you know, there's going to be, if Jesus is there and God's there, like there's going to be this perfection, even though we will be perfect, there's still going to be this greater thing than us other than perfection. And it's going to keep us, you know, I think there's something entertaining about striving or there's something funny about not being perfect or not being the the best thing in the room. I think, you know, comedy at its heart is, is some sort of deep self-awareness. And so I think there'll, I think there'll still be some sort of entertainment or still some sort of comedy or something in, in heaven. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll be playing some shows or something like that. So, so I had that thought. So, so my pursuit of doing the standup was, was actually rooted in this idea of who is, who's going to be new heavens, new earth, Tyler. And, um, if Jesus is who he was and he died on the cross and all that, we have access to like the kingdom of heaven is here and now, so we can access that identity here and now. And that, that seemed to be more tenable to how to act in the world as a Jesus follower than just joining some institutional church, uh, volunteering on Sundays and being those weird Christians. And I, and I think that's another thing too that I've seen is the people that are rewarded in this institutional church seem to abdicate abdicate any any sort of personal identity or personal uniqueness, and they become some sort of drone for this churchy language. There's somebody that's coming to my mind right now where, you know, they were talented musically, they they had a lot of friends and all of that, but they became a Christian and, you know, now they're stopping people on the street, trying to like heal them or, or like everything's like Jesus, like any conversation is Jesus oriented. And there's like, there's no, there's no, there's no semblance of that previous person. And, and again, I think in the charismatic church or the, the evangelical church, that is a rewarded thing. Um, but I, th- I think my understanding of what, what Jesus did here on earth was show us how to be the most, to live out your identity, how God has made you or how I know Jesus was God. So Jesus was himself in this world the most. And that is a model for us. Now our identity isn't God. My identity is Tyler. Um, but digging into the, into my particular identity and living that out I think is the model of Jesus more so than me abdicating any sense of who Tyler is and and replacing that with the Christian Jesus-y um, language that is kind of creepy and weird. So I think I want to, I'm already half an hour in and that's that's crazy to me. So if you're continuing to listen to this, bless your soul. If not, I completely understand. Um but I kind of want to touch on uh, the, this transfiguration story in Matthew 17. So this, this is likely what the podcast is going to be moving forward is me kind of drilling down into uh, scripture that, that has kind of stood out to me and interpreting it or look, looking at it through the lens of Jesus wanting the Tyler that he created to be pulled out 
uh, and shown in this world. And that is actually what the church is, not stifling or putting a cap on who Tyler is to be a part of some institutional system. So I, so I think there'll be a lot of individual versus institution or individual versus system speak in this. So that's kind of what this is. So starting in, in the, the transfiguration story, I'm not going to read it. You can have a look at it, but the transfigured in Greek, something like metafu or metamopho or something like that. <laughs> um, but one of the Greek definitions of that was something like form embodying inner essence. And that really stood out to me that Jesus in his transfigured state was essentially the inner essence of who Jesus was being represented on the outside of him. And so he was obviously as white as snow and and pure and and kind of this unbelievable type of figure. And yeah, it kind of, I think in the, it's one of those events that uh, actually before I, before I go there, what God said after that was essentially the same thing that was said in the, in the baptism story, this is my son with whom I'm well pe- well pleased. But this was, but something was added. It said, "Go listen to him," and we'll touch on that. We'll touch on that later. But it, it remind this this idea of having your inner identity represented on the outside. Like I wonder if everyone's inner identity was represented on the outside, how ugly or beautiful people would be or what that would look like would you be dim or would you be bright all all of those all of that those understandings and i th- i think the only way i've heard the transfigured story preached is kind of like this was a special jesus thing but i wonder if it can it can be applied to us individually where you know we're 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 talked about getting baptized as as christians but we're not really challenged to be transfigured where our inner essence is embodied on the outside of us. And I, th- and I just want to share a few parallels between the baptism event and uh, this transfigured event. Um, who was at the um, baptism? There was John the Baptist and there was the Pharisees and Jesus were kind of like the, the big people. And obviously the, um, there was the, the crowd there, but in the transfiguration, there was Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and then a, then a few of the key disciples. So the Pharisees are representative of the law, and also Moses is representative of the law. So there's some parallels between the law is there. And then John the Baptist is often equated to as Elijah. So the prophet is represented there, and then Jesus as the Messiah. Now, I did this paper in my Old Testament class um, about the progression of of essentially the story of God being communicated to man and how essentially God introduced the law as as a step to help people understand what, what he was all about and then moved on to prophets and then Jesus ultimately being the fulfillment of that. So there's some connection of law, prophet, Messiah happening in both the baptism and the transfiguration. But, you know, it's the Pharisees and John the Baptist in the in the first side of thing, which are kind of the the imperfect or maybe the 
the world's version of law and prophet, whereas on in the Transfiguration story, they're the perfect version of that. Moses is the is the kind of representative of the law, and Elijah the prophet. Um, so, so there's some progression that's happening that I think is being communicated uh, in this story. So, in this in this event, you know, there's there's Peter who sees this transfiguration happening and he automatically kind of interrupts this and he says, it is good for us to be here. And the Greek word for that good is translated to something like beautiful. It's this, it's kind of reflective of what's happening in the transfigured. It's an outward sign of inward, good, honorable character. And but it's also inspirational, inspires others to embrace what is lovely. So this word, it is good for us to be here, is something like it is inspirational for us to be here. It is lovely for us to be here because we can see what the benefits are of having honorable, good, inward character, and this is inspirational for us. And what's interesting is what he immediately does is he tries to build structures to uh, for this inspiration event that's happening. And I couldn't help but think that that's essentially what the church, especially the evangelical and charismatic church has done, is there might have been some very, very good teachers, very good preachers, whatever, that were inspiring. But then a system, these structures are, are, are built around this to for people to come and get inspired and then leave. And I can see that that's probably what Peter thought the this event was for, was Jesus, uh, Moses, and Elijah are going to stay here, you know, for the rest of eternity. And uh, Israel is going to come up this mountain. Uh, they're going to see these structures, and they're going to get inspired and go go back down the mountain and live out their life. And then they're going to, uh, and then then when they're feeling uninspired, they're going to go back, see Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, get inspired in by visiting these structures and go back. And so you could kind of see. That I this this institute this Peter wanted to set up this institution right away of of inspiration, and I think that that is what the evangelical and the charismatic church has done is set up an institution of inspiration where what actually happens, and I think what we should be striving for is actually to tear down these systems uh, or to stop these systems. And what's interesting is. God interrupts Peter right in the middle as he's like, should we build structures or, um, around this? And he says, this is my son with whom I'm well, well pleased. But he adds something to the phrase that is different from uh, the baptism event. And he just adds, uh, listen to him. So he says, this is my son with whom, whom I'm well pleased. And he adds, now listen to him. So there's something that happened in, by the time that Jesus got baptized to um, the transfiguration event is that I think Jesus was living out his inner essence in this time, and it was finally represented on the outside of him. And it was now the the crowning moment for God to be like, now people can listen to you because the inside of you or the outside of you is now representative of the inside of you, or your inside of you is so good that uh, people can now see who you really are. Because before this, all the all the you know disciples were kind of wondering, like, like who is this guy? But it was now sort of self evident when you would see Jesus that um, there was such character, there was such honorable character, there was such you know 
this positive inner essence that was finally being shown on the outside that, uh, that yeah, now God's saying, Hey, listen to, listen to, you can now like really listen to him. So I looked up obviously as I would being a think monster, looked at the Greek word for listen, and it's much more deeper than just like audible, like just listen to what he's saying. The, the, it's more, this word listen, um, I don't have the actual Greek word. You can look it up. Um, I think it just used a standard Greek website for it. But it was essentially like get up, wake up, or sorry, no, listen to him. I'm just looking at my notes here and my chicken scratch writing is just so bad. But uh, listen to him, where is it? Okay, here it is. So he added listen to him, and it's essentially the the type of listening that prompts God to bring forward faith, th- this deep listening. Um, it's, not, it's not just hearing listening. And there was some language around like acoustics, like that kind of deep listening where you're not just hearing something, but if you think of like... Um, the Sydney Opera House or like a symphony and the special buildings that those are are played in. It was more like, listen to the acoustics of Christ. Listen to the acoustics of my son. And not just listen to the words that he's saying, but ex- almost experientially understand what Jesus is doing. Um, and I feel that that's way more deeper than just kind of listen to what he is saying. So yeah, I, th- I think... I think that's somewhat profound in that we are called to listen that only now God is saying essentially listen to his son now that he's kind kind of not proved himself but just allowed his inner identity to be represented on the outside and displayed in this world and this this act um now provides almost an authority or a foundation for others to officially listen to him and understand or see who he, who he is for, for who he is almost. And so ultimately kind of getting back to this individualistic idea. So, you know, we hear often in Christianity and it's, you know, part of the great commission um, to baptize. And I fully, fully understand that, but rarely have I heard people talk about, pursuing transfiguration. Now, I don't think people are going to, you know, turn white, bright and shiny and and all of that at, at any given time. But I think we so, or the institutional church so pursues baptism and sees that that is the, the end without this transfiguration story. So I'm trying to th- even think for myself of like, what would it look for, for me to, for my, inner essence of who God made me to be, to be shown on the outside. And I believe that that process from baptism to transfiguration is actually the process of sanctification, where I'm pursuing this ontological identity, uh, new heavens, new earth identity for myself. And I think that that is true Christianity more so than listening to what the institutional church wants me to do or or essentially allowing Peter to set up the structures 
um, and me listening to Peter on what line I should stand into, either listen to Moses, Elijah, or Jesus uh, on the top of this mountain, so to speak, using using the metaphor. So I think that um, another interesting part of this transfiguration story is that there's only a few people. Uh, Jesus only took up three of his closest folk. And I think that's going to be true in your own Christian walk, where if you actually pursue this idea of transfiguration in your own faith journey, that only maybe a few people will see your your true inner essence being shown on the outside. And that's okay. It's not, it might not be this, this giant um spectacle that everyone sees. And that's not that's not the that's not the goal. But yeah, so ultimately what I'm saying is I don't even know if I have a a, a takeaway for this podcast at the moment, but I think all I want to show is this is the kind of thought that I've been thinking through in this last little bit in my faith journey. And I want to, the, the people that I have shared with it closely have, have kind of resonated with it and have kind of felt something similar going on maybe within their own church culture or whatever it might be. And they've suggested I, you know, try and share some of the stuff in a different way. So, so this is kind of that. So yeah, um, this transfiguration story was kind of just a, a, a glimpse into the kinds of thoughts that, that I've been having as it relates to faith, church, um, individuals, systems, and all of that. So I think we might just end it there. I, I don't know if that was helpful or not, um, but I'll probably only send this to a few people so that you can see, but feel free to share it if, if uh, this has resonated with any conversations that you've had with any other people. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm probably wanting to do maybe one of these week, one per week or one every two weeks or something like that. Yeah. Just kind of dig into, to different nuanced ideas that I'm seeing as it relates to being an individual, um, and not a cog in the machine to the institutional church, which I don't think it, which as I'm reading more and more, um, Jesus, I don't think ever, ever intended. So yeah. That is the end of the first episode of Think Monster. Hope, hope to hear some feedback. I don't know if that was just rambling or what, but uh, yeah. I'll talk to you guys later. Peace.